Picture this, two guys trapped in the South Charleston Public Library. One guy loves movies, the other, well, he'd rather be watching reality TV. Can they survive each other's films? Find out on Real Opposites, a library podcast about movies. Hosted by Josh and Aaron from the South Charleston Public Library. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Real Opposites. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. And we're back to discuss our movies we chose last episode. Well, Josh chose last episode for the Stephen King episode that we're doing. And say episode one more time. <laughs> <laughs> you just leave that in. I just keep going. <laughs> and it was The Mist and Creep Show. Yes. So I guess we're going to go ahead and jump straight into The Mist. Josh, tell us about the movie and why you chose it. All right. So first I want to give a little synopsis. This is from the back of the DVD cover. From legendary fright master Stephen King and Academy Award nominated director Frank Darabont comes one of the most tense and terrifying films since The Shining. After a mysterious mist envelops a small New England town, a group of locals trapped in a supermarket must battle a siege of otherworldly creatures and the fears that threaten to tear them apart. Starring Thomas Jane and Oscar winner Marcia Gay Harden in one of the year's most talked about performances, The Mist is not only one of the best films of 2007, it's one of the best horror movies ever made. Period. Nice. As to why I picked it, because it's getting to be the spooky season, it's the best time of year, Spirit Halloween's officially open. Yes. Leaves are changing. Mm. We're about to have our one week of fall weather. I hope cool it outside. <laughs> it feels it feels good. I, there's nothing like the mornings, and it's like like in like it's like a 45 or 50, like 50 yeah. ish, and it's like ah, uh, mm-hmm. it's foggy. Yeah, nothing better to start your day. It's just yeah, nice it was foggy. great. It's great. It is great. I don't yeah. know why I said it was, but or misty yeah, the, as we should. Say. Yeah, I was gonna say the other morning I was out really early and it was so fog or misty that you couldn't see. Yeah, there's one morning it I was, was driving great. in, like I probably couldn't see, but 100 feet in front. Yeah, mm-hmm. front I love that. Yeah. So we're gonna start with the mist. All right. The 2007 adaptation of Stephen King's novella mm-hmm. by Frank Darabont who also directed Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Okay. Green Um, Mile is great. Yeah, so he definitely knows how to adapt Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is his first adaptation of a Stephen King horror story. Right. Because there's more drama. Yeah. So I remember seeing the movie in theaters. Just I knew it was Frank Darabont and Stephen King, and it looked amazing. And left the theater just confident that I had seen one of the best horror movies I'll ever see in my life. Yeah, it was great. I remember there being like a pretty packed crowd, and there were they were very reactionary. You know, I don't know how far we want to get into like the story, but like the the scene with Miss Carmody was like everyone in the theater erupted in in cheers. Yeah, and then the end it was like whew, dead silence. Right. <laughs> um, well, that always makes a movie better. Yeah, I mean I, that's why I do enjoy going to the movies because you have all those reactions of everybody. Yeah, as well. so much. I mean, I was listening to, I'm listening to Tarantino and Roger Avery's Video Archives podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, they worked in Video Archives, which is a video store in L.A., and that's how they met, like, in the 80s. And so they watched all these movies together, and then they're talking about how, you know, like, they were watching Dress to Kill, which at some point I'm going to pick for you. 
they were rewatching it on VHS. That's the cool thing is they watch them on VHS oh, when they do the podcast. They rewatch them. They they take their because Tarantino when the when the theater, when the, the store closed he bought the entire like ten thousand twenty thousand tapes. Oh wow! And he's talking about you know him and Roger Avery his friend and um, writer. He's written and directed some films talking about the importance of like seeing it with an audience and seeing it not even even if it's not for the first time seeing it with someone else and it's like you feel that energy. Right. Because uh, they're like watching Dress to Kill and they've all seen it a million times, but it's like they're kind of talking about it as it's going on and and just noticing new things. Because you do like a really good movie, you notice new things each time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, so I mean, it was, I remember The Mist being a really great, that was a really good year for like horror theatrical experiences because Grindhouse was a great one too. Yeah. That was, probably came out, uh, came out like April. I think this one came out a little later in the year. Okay. But yeah, I love this film. It's still easily probably, it's pretty high up in my favorite horror movies. And I love that it mixes sci-fi and horror. Those are usually my favorite kind of horrors when it mixes sci-fi or some some like supernatural element, like either a haunting or not, maybe not so much possession, but like just some, some sort of a supernatural or, or Lovecraftian feel. And this, right. this kind of hits all of those because it's got kind of a sci-fi slant and then it's also got this Lovecraftian creatures from another dimension like they open i don't know it just hits like ticks so many boxes for me that it just makes it a lot of fun and it's all just about human nature yeah like that's the real horror the horror is not the creatures in most of these movies it's especially in lovecraft it's all like inside what's going on inside the mind of the protagonist and this is like has a cast of them and just like how everyone's reacting to the scenario yeah i loved it what did you think you you, you watched the ending first yeah so i've seen little parts of it here and there and i i realized when i was watching i had seen more little parts than i thought yeah but each time it was only like a few seconds of that part yeah. so, I'd, so i'd not really seen it because i hadn't read it usually i don't watch it so were you able to listen to the audiobook i did not okay i did not get that in i made you break your rule i did i broke my rule <laughs> so i'm curious i'm curious because you you'd seen the ending so you know what happens yeah and you knew that's coming so so how did like how did that impact the rest of the film because it's fun to watch like i was noticing things knowing what's happening like what's gonna where, where they're gonna yeah. end up like throughout the movie the like, little visual indications of what's gonna happen so i'm curious what you thought yeah i um I mean, I just watched it as if it was my first time watching it because it, it technically was. Yeah. And we all know my memory is not great anyways. So, which ended up being correct. Uh, I didn't remember the ending like I thought I did. Oh, okay. So, it ended up being like a first time watching it for me. Yeah. I thought in the end, well, I had a couple. I had a couple thoughts about this movie going into it. For some reason... I had thought you never see the creature. I don't okay. know why, but that's I thought that. Yeah. And then the ending, I thought it was just they were driving off and you they kind of got enveloped in fog and you heard the creature and then you heard shots and that was it. Yeah. And I I could have sworn that's where it ended. No. So, so the ending still got to play out. Yeah, Three for sure. So, which is, oh my gosh, that is a heartbreaking ending. Isn't it? Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, like the that one person has to live with it. 
Yeah, he like just shot slow, his son, man. The slow was, reveal of, oh, yeah. yeah, everything's fine. Like, the government rolled in and was yeah. able to quell this interdimensional invasion. Yep. Rolled Crazy. in right afterward. Yeah, I mean, so for those, I guess, that don't know spoilers, the end of the movie, Tom Jane, who plays uh, David, his son, and, and two other people, or three other people from uh, the store end up driving off into the mist trying to escape, just taking their chance because... It's hit the fan back at the back at the store, right. and like it's not, it's not safe. And they end up running out of gas. They have four bullets left, and David ends up shooting his son and the three other adults in the car. Yep. And Thomas J- Thomas Jane in that moment's really. I think he's at, at first. I was the first time I saw it. I thought his performance was a little too big, but mm-hmm. I really like because he'll like scream and then he'll kind of like stop for a second yeah. and but it's like it's it's the i mean i don't know what that would feel like killing but just imagining yeah and i mean and, and you can see in his eyes like the what's going on they're like the ramifications are hitting him and then he then he loses it again and and then shortly after like when he's like begging the kind of begging the monsters to kill him he the the army like, rolls, rolls right through up. the mist starts to dissipate and you get a, a crane shot pulling back, showing him on his knees as, you know. And then the the lady that left earlier in the movie, you see her on the truck. Yeah. The um, one with the two kids. One with the two kids. Yeah. So who she, like at the start, like pretty much as soon as they get in there, she's like, I got to go get my kids. Yeah. And she just hightails it. You never she see her again. Somehow made it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're just we're just weird, and we're going to start with the ending. Yeah, I mean, because that's the, I mean that I feel like that's the thing everyone talks about is the ending. Yeah, because it's such a I mean, it's like I think it's become like one of the most iconic horror endings. Yeah, just because it's so gut wrenching, and the first time you see it, if you don't know it's coming, it's like oh yeah, it's a gut punch. So I you, did get to experience that because you 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 didn't remember how no the, for some reason in my mind there were three of them. Yeah, I I for some reason was thinking there was only. I, I got the number mixed up. Yeah. But I thought there were three of them, the son being one, and I thought they all shot themselves. Yeah. Or he shot them and then shot himself. Yeah. So I was totally wrong on what the ending was. Yeah. So it definitely was a first time for me. Okay, cool. So that was good. I don't know. I mean, the whole movie is great. It, it Of course, I loved it. Yeah. So you did watch the black and white version? I did. After, now, after you put in disc two? Yeah. <laughs> Aaron so, texted me the other night, and he's like, how do I get to the black and white version? And I was like, this too. The worst part is I was doing it for like 15 minutes and going through all the features. What's the black and white and, in these menus? Josh lied to me. Yeah, I was like, and I got the case, and I looked at the back, and I said, well, it says black and white. I didn't know there was another disc in there. I hadn't paid enough attention. I should have left instructions. You shouldn't have to. <laughs> But I did watch the black and white, and I I mean, I liked it in black and white. There were a few scenes that I kind of wish I had seen in color, and that was mainly because there was, like, blood involved and stuff like that. And yeah. Like, I, the the scene where they're, they've tied the rope to the guy, and he's yeah. went out. That scene, when they're coming back in, and the they're, rope, they're and you back see his lower body. it's clearly covered in blood. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I would have liked to have seen the blood in color. Well, I mean, you can always, the next time you can always watch the color right, version, exactly. you know. Um, yeah, so I mean, but there's so there was a couple couple things like that, just people being murdered yeah. by the animals or the okay. creatures. 
But other than that, yeah, I mean, it was it was great in I black thought, and white. I mean, I, I, I haven't watched the color version in so long. I just remember it. I mean, that's the way I saw it in theaters. Yeah. But I just haven't gone back after watching the black and white because I just think it's it's it just fits the tone of the movie so much better. Mm-hmm. The feel, the mist, the eeriness, like it really amplifies that, I think. Yeah, and I could see that for sure. That's why I said there were just parts. I mean, it's not yeah. like the whole time I was like, you just I wish like I was to watching see, see that red, yeah, corn syrup in like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know when you said like it's kind of Lovecraftian in nature. The fact that most Lovecraft books were built or were like written in the '30s, I, I just I think black and white really like yeah into that. No, it's not harder. Yeah, and it kind of makes it like, and it's like so. I mean, it's set in modern day, mm-hmm. but it. They kind of strip away like none of the cell phones work, no, you know, electrics out. Like, right. So I mean, they're they're they might as well be in a cave. Right. And it's like it's taking them back to their primordial state, really. And people, and I like one thing that that Ollie says. You know, he's like, put more than two of us in a room together, take away the take away the lights. You know, turn off the lights, put more than two of us in a room together, and we'll start pitting against each other and trying to kill each other to get ahead. And, right. And that's true. And that's the I mean, that's that's the great thing about a good horror movie is it's not about, like, the blood and guts and the, the killing and, right. you know, the scares, the jump scares or whatever. It's really about human nature. Like, I was re- we were rewatching Midnight Mass. At the end, she was like, it's not scary. Like, it's not it's great, but it's not scary. I'm like, yeah, it's not, like, real, like good horror. It's not about, like... Jump scares. Jump scares or, I mean, it's about really digging a little deeper. Right. And like getting to some fundamental truth about the human condition mm-hmm. just from and the, and I love that about horrors. You can explore that in ways you can't explore in like a just like a, a drama or a comedy like it because it's putting people in a more heightened situation. Mm-hmm. And right. a lot of times by removing it in sci fi, too, by removing reality from it, you can really look objectively at society. So. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's what, that, like you said, that's what makes a good horror movie. You know, one that makes you think or makes you feel something, but also to see the human part of it. Like you said, they're in this store, so they're trapped in a store. There's these creatures in the mist that we end up finding out was part of some kind of experiment with the yeah. military, and it opened like a portal of some sort, and it's there's these spiders, there's these weird like bug creatures. Yeah, I, the, the creature design's amazing. Yeah, I love the little eyes on the yeah. little flying guys. Yeah. But I love that we never see... The military installation. They only talk about it. Right. Because they were actually, I think in the original script, there was a scene that took place at whatever this military installation is. Yeah. Kind of a, I think it was supposed to go towards the front, like kind of showing what happened. Okay. But I think it, they ended up, they didn't have the money to, because that would have been a cost, it would have been a big set, right. a lot of special effects. So they ended up just cutting that out. And I think it's completely the yeah, right way. I just think not it's... knowing where they're coming from, just knowing that there's, it puts a, it puts an image in your mind. Right. Of what happened. And you can imagine like this portal opening or whatever and the mist coming out, all these creatures flying out and walking, you know. Yeah, I think I think 100 percent it's better without that because you're getting you're just thrown into it just like these just like characters are. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't know any more than they know. Yeah. So, and you find out the same way they find out. And I just think that adds to it. It almost puts you in it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it brings you into the store. Yeah. You and feel gets like you that mindset that they're in. And it's, you know, what would you do in that situation? And any kind of movie that makes you think like that, I think is, is good horror. I think he got a lot of the camera operators from the show The Shield. I don't know if you remember Michael Chiklis, and it was very like kind of gritty, down and dirty, like documentary style. And a lot of the camera work is very intuitive. It's very, it's not like locked off shots where it's pretty rare. A lot of it's just very like in your face and handheld. And it kind of gives you a feel like you're there. Like, yeah, there's usually not a lot of POV shots that I remember. And it's very kind of medium shots or we get a wide shot if there's something really happening. Mm-hmm. And it gets it gets more controlled once you get outside and you start seeing, especially like when they get in the car at the end, you start seeing the larger dinosaur-sized creatures yeah. and everything. I just love how it, that's what it felt like when I saw it in theaters was it, I felt like I was just in the store with them. Right. And that's the, I mean, those are the scariest parts is just seeing how we react to a situation. Yeah. And I feel like it's accurate. Oh, yeah. Like, it, like that's how people are. You know, people will gravitate towards like uh, Andre Brower, Brent, uh, his neighbor, you know. Yeah. Like they'll not like he's clearly intelligent, well-educated. So people will gravitate to him. There's certain and then certain people will gravitate gravitate to Miss Carmody, even though pretty clear she is way out there. Yeah. And, you know. It's pretty clear to us that she's way out there. But, but to, I mean, until but a lot of the situation. But I mean, even to like at the start, like William Sadner plays Jim, one of the mechanics. At the start, he's just like she's a, she's nuts. Yeah. yeah. But then he becomes one a, of her one people. of her converts. Right. Well, you know, it's like when the wasps fly in, they don't yeah. sting. Like all you need to convince someone that someone's a witch or that you're chosen by yeah. a higher power is one convenient coincidence yep. yeah exactly when your exactly. identity's being questioned yeah and, and that's and you know he's and i was watching and noticing this time the way what happens is kind of everyone's fault to a certain degree because the way that david talks to them can kind of be demeaning sometimes and i think that's why they kind of get more guarded like him and his buddy the the mechanic yeah what is he he says like i don't know if you're just trying to be willfully dumb or dense or something like that but yeah you know this is this and this is that and he's you know so there's already this kind of like butting Butting of heads heads, and it's like neither one's really meeting in the middle to make this situation better right but i mean it, it just reveals a lot about how people react and that's the scariest thing is just oh yeah like mrs carmody like that's the scariest thing in the world to me is like that miss Car- mrs carmody's yeah gang of converts right you know and it's just like it's denying all reason and i mean know. they end up killing the soldier just because he's a soldier yeah just because he was there he had nothing he, he had nothing to do with it didn't know anything really about it yeah i mean that's heartbreaking too when they when they do it and they throw right. him outside and but oh my god when, it's that it's that mass hysteria yeah um, it's, it's wild and people just like revert back to their lizard brain and just will follow anything that seems relatively reasonable that they will that will get them right. a few more moments of life but oh my god when ollie kills her yeah <laughs> it's one of the best moments i know ever. I, I was oh. I was excited. One, I love was, Ollie. Ollie may be my favorite character too. Yeah, he was very like uh, they they treated him badly. His yeah. boss did, and he was underestimated. Yeah, I mean he's a, underestimated. He's, he's an That's the word. Like yeah. you're you look at him and you think, oh, well, right. I mean, he just looks like an average like guy, grocery yeah. guy. Yeah, and then he's yeah. just like, no, I was state champion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, when they're uh, like, who can shoot? Yeah, everybody was like, okay, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. and then he's just like, boom, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, so, clearly. He he got the shot that mattered. Toby yeah. Jones is my favorite Hollywood Toby. 
<laughs> he's one of he's like one of my favorite characters. He's a great actors. actor. He's like in everything he's in, he's just like yeah. Like he's, really he's cool. a character actor, so he doesn't get a lot of parts. But man, he like he does a good job with all of them. I yeah. always like it seeing him in, when he shows up. Yeah, he yeah. was definitely definitely my favorite. And <laughs> so I'm sure you know, like Frank Darabont was in charge of Walking Dead too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see a lot of people and a lot of the crew that went from this. To Walking Dead. Yeah. Lori Holden and the woman, oh, what's her name? The one that leaves yeah. early on. She was in like the whole show, I think. I think so, yeah. So, I mean, he he cast a lot of, and he actually wanted Thomas Jane to play Rick in The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. totally. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he went straight from this to that. And then, of course, that ended up falling apart, like his involvement in that show. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see that. Melissa McBride, who's... She's that's that's yeah, yeah, that's her. She's one of the best characters in Walking Dead, yeah. Yeah, I only watched the first couple seasons, but I remember her, yeah, I liked her a lot in the show, yeah. But and he uses a lot of his old staples like William Sadler and uh Jeffrey DeMoon. Andre Brower is underappreciated, he's great in the movie, he's great in this, but I mean, like, he's a good actor in everything, yeah. (laughs) The guy that plays like the biker, Mm -hmm. the one with that kind of goes out, they tie the rope to, he was in Shawshank. Okay. Um, I knew he looked familiar. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just one of like Red's buddies. Like, yeah. In Shawshank. But yeah, I mean, it's just a really great group of character actors. There's no big stars. And they're just right. like, it doesn't feel like theater because the camera work is so, you know, on the, on the ground. But right. It still feels like you're in this one location for the most of the movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then when they step out, like you see all the, that's, a, I mean, the creature design and everything, like when they go to the store and all the spiders, Come right. out of the guy, and it's just like it's shocking because it's like, oh, yeah, like, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. I think when we got to that, when I got to that scene, I didn't realize there were going to be multiple types of creatures, yeah. I mean, like multiple, multiple. And so to see some spiders, it was it was pretty cool, yeah. I, and I like the you know, they're kind of webbed up, the guy has spiders bust out of his face, yeah. There's definitely like an aliens vibe, yeah, like where. That's what it reminds me of, like when the people you don't you haven't seen aliens, Mm-mm. but they kind of like cocoon people to the wall, yeah, and in a kind of like very similar thing, and then like you know the chest burster comes out. When I was a kid, for some reason, I only ever have nightmares mostly, and so when I was a kid, I had a reoccurring nightmare that I went into a basement, and there there were people or creatures or something that would basically pin you to the wall and web you. And I don't know where in my life that came from. So I don't know if maybe I saw parts of something like aliens or something like maybe. that. I don't know. Maybe my brain's just weird and created that. I'm I'm not sure. I'm gonna I guess mean, that I saw it. But it was just a reoccurring I mean, you nightmare like scared that I had. of spiders? No, I love spiders. Okay. I absolutely a, love them. There's a goosebumps um that also has i don't know if you read goosebumps i did kid. there's a goosebumps that 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 happens so maybe like you're maybe it was just something like just that with it yeah because um, it, it was more like people that were doing it yeah not so oh, much okay. like a spider not a, not a creature yeah yeah but anyways i don't know it was just so when i saw that this took you back to it, it kind of was like oh Ooh. yeah i mean it was a little bit of a trigger there <laughs> i would just like to mention before we get too far off all the actors the shermanator is in this oh yeah if anyone watches has watched the american pie the kid that gets pulled oh. out to the garage that they end up chris owen american i knew pie. he was he looked familiar yeah, he was in american pie he's the shermanator okay the i've never seen that but i've seen clips so that's probably what it was yeah he was the bag boy right 
in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, he's the bag boy that yeah. they, he's the first death, Kill, really. Yeah. Oh, that and, tentacle. Yeah, and it's like, that's uh, uh, that's the thing is like a good horror movie. Like you really remember and feel the deaths. Like right. that kid gets like it bites uh, his chest and then yeah. pulling him through and he's just begging, just trying to hold on to the mm-hmm. door. And I say, yeah, as they're pulling I mean, it's through. just like you remember it sticks with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was done really well. I saw on here, Stephen King says that he was genuine, genuinely frightened by this adaptation of his novella. And Frank Darabont described that as the happiest moment of his career. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And he does, Stephen King does prefer the ending in the movie to his ending. The ending in the book, It. I was looking at it, it just kind of seems like they drive off. And you you don't and really you don't know what happens you don't know what happens yeah so I mean I I get where that works too in a book but I I really think the ending in the movie is better for the movie mm-hmm. oh like, yeah for because sure because it really I mean that's one of the things that I appreciate most is because it does feel so spontaneous it doesn't feel like it's predictable because they kill characters and they put people in real danger that you're thinking oh man are they really gonna like are they really gonna die are they really gonna go because I feel like well we've seen this so they could really do this like his son could really die in the store or right you know and then and i just love it's like the woman that's helping him take care of the boy like she downs a bottle of pills and i mean it all just feels like authentic right and and genuine so i feel like and it's all just talking about the the randomness and chaos of life like you can leave the store and live you can leave the store and die you can stay here and live right. and stay here and die you can you know it's it's all just random luck chaos. of the draw. Yeah. It's not, doesn't feel scripted. It feels like it's just happening before your eyes and you don't know where it's going. Right. I did notice, so the ending, there was one, was one little moment I really noticed and loved. I think it's right before <clears throat> kind of the whole thing with Mrs. Carmody and they end up killing the, the soldier Sam mm-hmm. Whitmer and, mm-hmm. and all like all that kind of happens. It's like the night before and his son is asking him Telling him, asking him, like, Dad, promise, promise me you won't let me die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, like, and he promises him, and in the moment, his, like, the look in his eye on the sun, like, it's very still, and he kind of looks like he's dead. Yeah. He has, like, this look in his eye, like, there's nothing behind it. Which is, I mean, the kid, the kid is a great little actor. Yeah, yeah. He's he really, I don't know, he's, he just feels really real. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one little moment that really, I was like, oh, man. I think there's a lot of those kind of peppered throughout the movie, but that one stuck with me. It's kind of a well, like the parental guilt there, though. Like even like he looks dead, it, it looks like the light went out in his eyes. Like yeah. kids always like um, kids typically like a happy, healthy child looks bright and happy. And yeah, happy and you and see them to not see, see the world like kind of shatter that for them, and you can't do anything about it. It happens eventually. I think a lot of yeah. parents go through that, and so yeah. it's like seeing that laid out in like this absolutely horrific situation is super powerful. Yeah. The kid does a good job carrying it off. He really does. Like everyone in the middle in the films, wonderful. What? And I love the. So I don't know if you noticed like the opening where David's in his the paintings, the paintings. Mm-hmm. So you see like you see like the dark tower, Christine, you see the thing, uh, the thing. Um, so those are all Drew Struzan, who is a famous, probably the greatest movie poster artist oh, of all okay. time. He did all the, he did a bunch of like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter's, Blade Runner, The Thing, like all the ones you see there. He did a Pan's Labyrinth. There's a funny story. Guillermo del Toro talks about Hellboy. Yeah. And he talks about, 
there's a really great documentary on Drew Struzan too. Forget what the name of it exactly, but he talks about making Hellboy and like he wants to get Drew Struzan to do the poster for the movie, and the studio wouldn't put put up the money. So uh-huh. Del Toro paid him like seventy five grand to create this poster. Wow, or something, whatever it was. Yeah, they paid him to create this poster that they never used. <laughs> Oh, no. the studio, even though it was free, like they could have used it. They didn't use it. And it's a gorgeous poster because it of Struzan. I mean, everything he did, like, I think like in Darabont's a huge fan of Struzan. Yeah. Because it's like, in a way, it's like, even like bad movies, like he did the Masters of the Universe poster. Mm-hmm. Poster is gorgeous. Right. If that movie had been released, the movie in the poster <laughs> would have been a huge hit. <laughs> so some, like he, he, he did posters for movies that like weren't the greatest. But his, all of his work is George. He's the Big Trouble in Little China poster. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. The temp, his Temple of Doom one is still my favorite. So he has all those, like, at this. And it's, like, through, like, he can capture in a painting better than, like, the actual movie itself. His Indiana Jones and the poster is what I think of when I think of Indiana Jones. I don't really think of the movie. I think of the poster. Right. Because, I don't know, he's the way he captures things. Anyway, I just like that. That was, like... When I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, like, oh, Struzan stuff up there. Nice. Yeah. I like it. And and what's funny is so Tom Jane went to Struzan's studio to mm. kind of, because he's, he's he's painting the Dark Tower, I think, yeah. in the movie. So he wanted to learn like how Struzan paints. And so he, he I forget how long he was with him. It might have just been a couple of days or something. After the movie, like Struzan comes to the premiere and Tom Jane said, like, how did I do? And he's like, that was awful. <laughs> like the way you were that's not how I paint at all <laughs> it's like great movie but nope that's not how you didn't know it no <laughs> so Tom Jane was like ugh crushed but, oh yeah um, that would I mean especially it, if you specifically went to learn that yeah but I love the like what he says where he's just like well, he'll have to extend the deadline and his wife's talking about it and he's just like no they can just they can just photoshop a couple Right, two big two big floating heads in an afternoon, and it'll be that's the poster, and that's what happens. Right, most posters are terrible these days. The best posters you find are on stuff like Mondo or Bottleneck Gallery, like the custom posters from artists. Right, I mean studios could have that, and they could really sell a movie a lot better. But you know they don't want to fork out the money; they just want to throw more Facebook together. ads, I guess. Right. I miss not. I'm, I'm just going off on a poster tangent. <laughs> I miss not even seeing posters in the theaters. Like they're now just TV screens. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Oh yeah, that's true. Like a marquee, they just have TV screens. It's, I mean, they have the outside ones. Like inside, yeah. they don't have. We uh, had an issue when I worked at the movie theater where, like, every time because we had real posters that we put into the and it was like people were, like constantly trying to buy the posters. Yeah. Like, we archive them. You cannot have them. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we have an archive of them because we kept it for, like, art reasons and stuff. <laughs> but we did have a local um, printing press that would do special runs of posters for, like, they would design. So they did Mad Max. There's a Mad Max poster that oh, I okay. have, and they did a bunch of different ones. And it, those were always really neat. Like, it's neat what people come up with. Like, if someone really loves a movie and like makes these beautiful posters right like it's sad that they don't get their spotlight yeah like those those can. are like the posters i buy anymore like mm-hmm. the the limited edition like mm-hmm. there's a couple artists i like paul mann and gabs g-a-b-z i like all their stuff it's yeah really beautiful. it's all hand-drawn yeah so anyway poster tangent done yeah back to the movie <laughs> well i mean honestly though you would think 
they'd want to put a little bit of money into a poster because that's what gets you excited. I mean, I have a trailer yeah. too, but I get more excited over a movie by the, the poster than I do the trailer. Yeah, and I feel like if a good poster, you don't need a trailer. Right. Like a good poster will tell you what this movie is about. You'll see yeah. like a little little scene or something in there. You see the characters. It gives you like, you know, the Big Trouble in Little China poster tells you everything you need to know about that movie. Right. It is just packed and it's wild and it's funny and it's big. And yeah. It, yeah, it's a wall start, unfortunately. So overall, I, I think this movie ended up being, like you said, it's a it's a great horror movie. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that it it delves deeper than just monsters or creatures that are out there, that's yeah, it that's an important part of this movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the fear comes from within. Like I said before, I think that always makes the best horror. It does anything that gets you thinking. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, if you don't have something that's really getting to some something about human behavior, then it's just uh, it's just it's just makeup and effects, right? It's not really, not really anything there. And it has to be well-made. Like it has to, like the way it's, like that has to um, hold up what it's about. Right, exactly. It has to be coherent and seamless. Yeah. And I, th- I think The Mist does that really well. I mean, of course, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King. So it's a Stephen King story. So right there, I, it got me. But, you know, with this movie, the the way it was shot and, and all of that and the the different characters and how they're portrayed, it was just, it was perfect. It was. I, yeah, there's it nothing was, I'd change about it. I, I, I don't think there is a, anything I would change either, to be honest. Is this the best movie I've picked for you? I mean, it, it's definitely up there, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I mean, I know I liked this one. Showgirls. You liked Showgirls? Show, that was what I was going to say. Showgirls. So. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's others I've liked, but yeah, yeah I, definitely one of the best for me. Well, I'm really happy. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that wraps us up on The Mist. So we'll take a little commercial break for the library, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss Creep Show. Hi there, podcast listeners. This is Kendall with Youth Services at SCPL, bringing you an update about our October programming. We are very excited that spooky season is here once again, and we will be featuring some fun, festive story times throughout the month. You can join us on Tuesdays at 1030 for our Spanish story time, or on Thursdays also at 1030 for our Words and Wiggles program. And both of these story times are ideal for children from birth through about age five, great for toddlers, babies, preschoolers, and we just have a lot of fun reading and dancing and playing instruments, and we hope we'll see you there. We also have some great teen programs scheduled for this month. Our teen territory meets on Wednesdays in Auditorium A from 3.30 to 4.30, and please note that this is a time change. We were previously meeting at four, but we moved it back um, to 3.30 so that we can have more of our teens join us for more of the program. Um, But we will be starting out on the 4th of October doing some DIY spooky stickers and potions. We'll be learning about solar eclipses on October 11th. On October 18th, we are thrilled to welcome a guest speaker, L.J. Fairless of Snodgrass Funeral Homes, to speak about his career in a somewhat non-conventional industry, um, and we are sure you will be dying to meet him. 
just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, and then finally, on the 25th of October, we are having a Halloween party for our teens. Again, 3.30 to 4.30, entitled Monster Mash, where we will do some fun trivia related to the holiday, play some games, and even read some spooky stories by flashlight. Um, two other big things to mention. We have our Lego night returning on Tuesday, October the 10th, starting at 6.30, or 6 o'clock, I'm sorry. And that is a great time for kids to come in and build Legos together, meet new friends, uh, bring old friends. You can build whatever your imagination desires or build along with our spooky theme. And finally, we are having Trick or Treat at the library on Tuesday, October the 24th, starting at 6.30. You can test drive your costume a week before Halloween and come trick or treat throughout the library. We will have several stops with our SCPL staff as well as some great community partners joining us to make a wonderful evening for all of our little ones. So we hope you'll stop by and see us sometime during October. And I'm gonna pass it over to Toby for your adult programs. Hi guys. So the first thing we have coming up in October is on October 2nd, we have Intro to Mushrooms, Foraging and ID for Beginners at 6 p.m. And that will be brought to us by some of the members of the West Virginia Mushroom Club. A reminder that SCPL is closed on the 9th for Indigenous Peoples Day on October 10th at 3 p.m. So an early afternoon program for adults. We will be making Rope Ghost on the 16th at 5.30, we will have a mini stained glass lamp program where we will be making our own stained glass lamps. Uh, on the 23rd, we will be discussing our book club book for the month, California Golden, at 6 p.m. if you would like to pick up the book. Any other, any time this month, you can come by and pick up the book. And for right now, that's all we have for the month of October, though I'd like to throw out a little reminder that on October 14th we do have our annular solar eclipse and you'll be able to see that make sure you have your eclipse glasses and get ready to watch that that's on a Saturday so that's exciting and it will be from 11:45 to 2:30 p.m. will be the time which the eclipse is happening okay guys see you on the next episode all right we're back from the Announcements of the library, and we're going to go ahead and discuss our next movie, Creep Show. So, Josh, you know what to do. Tell us about it, and and tell us why All you right. chose it. <laughs> uh, so, first, I'm going to read the synopsis from the back of the VHS cover because okay. Creep Show is all it's very pulpy. It's it's all about nostalgia for childhood horrors, like okay. what you would have read when you were ten or twelve years old or watched. Shivery Delights from Two Masters of the Macabre, writer Stephen King and director George Romero. Like Dr. Frankenstein and his monster, or Dracula and his blood-sucking harem, this is a team to be reckoned with. King's works, Carrie, Cujo, The Shining, Salem's Lot, Misery, and many others make him a legend of the silver scream. And the same holds true for Romero, whose Night of the Living Dead remains a classic of zombies on parade cinema. The two macabre masters combine their terrifying talents in Creepshow and prove why theirs is the teeming horror fans have been deliciously dreading. Five shockingly clever stories are here, each a virtuoso exercise in fright, told in the ghouls and gags style of classic 50s comics like the legendary Tales from the Crypt. You'll be scared silly as you witness a murdered father bring a murdered father back from the grave for Father's Day cake 
and revenge. <laughs> a crashed meteor oozing gunk that gets everywhere growing, including human flesh. A professor selecting his screwish wife as his hors d'oeuvres for a ravenous Bigfoot-like monster. A diabolical beach party with cheer star Ted Danson up to his neck in terror. The gruesome results when a malevolent millionaire who fears insects goes eyeball to bug eye with about six jillion cockroaches. King and Romero, the right talents, the right mix of humor and horror. Let the creep show begin. I nice. love it. I also love that every time Creep Show is on the back of the box, it is in italics. Yeah. yeah. So good job dramatically reading Creep Show every time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so that's the back of the VHS. Um, Creep Show is all about things you shouldn't be reading <laughs> or watching when you're ten and twelve. Like it just has that feel. I remember watching it on VHS probably when I was around that age. Yeah, and it didn't. I mean, I enjoyed it. It didn't quite stick with me as hard as other movies. But um, years later, when I watched it again on DVD and then later on Blu-ray, it's very charming. The style, the comic book style, the animation they use. So they kind of Romero and King kind of became friends in the '70s, and they wanted to work on something. And originally, he was going to direct the Salem's Lot okay. uh, movie, but but when it when it when it when it was going to become a TV miniseries. He bowed, he bowed out. He didn't want to. He didn't want to be restrained by the TV by what he could do on TV. Right. So Toby Hooper ended up making that. But they always wanted to work together. They both loved EC Comics from the fifties. So they decided to just make a horror anthology in that style. I think maybe they they even tried to maybe make to get the rights to use like the tales from the crypt name or the haunted. What was it? The vault of vault of terror. Mm-hmm. Um, like those. Like because there was a bunch of comics EC made in the 50s um, and they were horror sci-fi or like western and noir but they were, were notoriously violent or you know they oh, okay. had a lot of sex and violence yeah or comics generally aimed at i mean they were aimed at everyone there's no like you, you know this is squarely aimed at a 12 year old versus right. like a 19 year old um, they're part of the reason that the the comics code was created in the 50s there was dr wortham he came out with this book seduction of the innocent which basically was like juvenile delinquency is the you know is because comics because they read comics that's why yeah it's boo censorship's garbage so that's why everyone's mom threw out their comic books in the 50s (laughs) that's why it's hard to find old issues of batman and superman and wonder woman and ec comics are like that's why they're worth so much because they were trashed. Right. Uh, probably same with baseball cards too to a certain extent. There's like, oh, these aren't going to be worth anything. Yeah. So that's kind of where the inspiration for the movie comes from. Mm-hmm. A couple of the stories I believe are based on King stories from books and the rest of them were written fresh for the film. And Stephen King even stars in one of them. Yeah. Famously. So does his son. Yeah, his son too, which I didn't I was watching I was watching Creep Show last night with the commentary by George Romero and Tom Savini, the makeup artist, and the the little boy at the start, like in the in the That has the comment interludes. Yeah. The one that Tom Matkins smacks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like read this garbage. <laughs> that's Joe Hill. So yeah. it's like, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, of course at that time he was listed as Joe, Joe King. King. It was before he took on the name of Joe Hill and tried yeah. to become a writer, but Yeah. Yeah, uh, I knew that going in. Did you? I already I knew that, that they were both in it. Well, you're the king aficionado. So yeah, that's nuts. true. <laughs> but um, of- yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> Creepshow is just like a fun, it's just a fun throwback. And it's just like, 
it's not my favorite horror movie. It's not terribly high up, but it it really yeah. captures that feel of spooky season. Like, and just, I mean, it almost feels like Romero and King reverted back to like those 13 year old boys who would write, come up with right uh, horror stories when they were kids. And each one, each story kind of is like a different issue mm-hmm. of a different title in EC Comics. So there's kind of like the more, maybe not noirish, but like the the husband who's, his wife's cheating on him. So he's going to, He's gonna uh, torture both of them, like that that kind of story. There's the more dead rising from the grave and the birthday mm-hmm. pa- birthday party stuff like that. Like they hit each the creature, right. the fluffy, you know. Yeah. So there's each one of them kind of scratch a different itch. Yeah. For horror. Yeah, I I love Creepshow. It's a lot of fun. Uh, what did you think? Well, <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Did you? Yeah. That's so cool. I, I'm so sad that I'm just now seeing it. Yeah, I've wanted to see it for years, but it's one of those things, like any other movie, I just forget about when I'm like, I want to watch something. I just, it's always in the back of my head, but I never think to actually watch it. Yeah. But of course, you know, being Stephen King, I, I want to, I wanted to see it, and I'm so glad I have now. It's just like you said, it's not that it's a a high up there horror movie or anything like that, but it's just this fun anthology of like you said just spooky stories for a spooky season just a a, it's a great kickoff movie to watch yeah and you can like you can you can almost feel king and romero behind the camera giggling right exactly you know like and and i i laughed through it i mean there were parts of it that you know the way it's written it is horror and and it's all about horror inside your head for the most part yeah yeah and and like we said with the last movie that's what makes horror good and this is kind of campy like it's funny oh, yeah. but it still gets you at a certain way yeah uh it's just i don't know it's perfect spooky comedy i, I absolutely loved it speaking of uh, we were talking about posters in the last one the creep show mm. poster is one of my like yeah it's great it's amazing poster i was i just remember seeing that vhs all the time at the video store and just be like, man, I want to watch that movie. Right. Even though I've seen it, I'm like, I want to watch that again. That poster's <laughs> awesome. So there's five stories, I think. Did you have a your a favorite as far as as far as the story itself? Um so we've got the the old we have the interludes with like Tom Atkins and right. Joe. What's Joe, the what Joe was Hill. the last story? The last one's the cockroaches. Oh, is that the last one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean honestly, I like them all. For yeah. different reasons. I will say I absolutely loved Stephen King's performance. <laughs> yeah. So I he mean He hates his performance. Yeah. He hate he It's just so goofy <laughs> he, and so He holds a grudge against Romero for like directing him that way to to, to <laughs> and Romero's direct direction is basically act like Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I love it. I and mean, it's just like, it's one of my favorite line in the movie, too. What? It's just like, meteor shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the, like, dream sequences he oh, goes yeah. into. Yeah. I love that $200 is, is <laughs> it's like, might as well be $2 million. Right, exactly. Know? That's like the good, like, good writing that, like, informs, like, where, where this guy's coming from that you can right. see, like, $200 means the world to him. Right, exactly. Yeah. I can get out of debt and I can yeah. go back car for $200. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. So that was that was probably one of the ones I really enjoyed because yeah. of 
because of King being in it. But the, I mean, the story, I mean, all of the stories are pretty good. I mean, you have the the dad that returns from Where's the dead. My cake? Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say in the scenes that he was like rattling his cane and yeah. st- it started to annoy me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like for real. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. It puts you right there. Yeah. It annoyed you. Yeah. It, it gives you the <laughs> sight into, okay, I probably would hit him too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I will say in that one, I do not understand why the guy that went out, like the boyfriend. Ed Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest, and, greatest dancing in, in cinema history. <laughs> Why he ends up, he ends up in the grave. <laughs> I don't know. It's up there with the guy from, uh, is it one of oh, the it's Friday, Friday, Friday It's Crispin Glover in Friday 4. Yeah. Friday 13, part 4. <laughs> yeah. But he ends up in the grave and then he just lays there and watched the stone fall on him. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't make much sense. But. It was too much of a, a pause. Like, it'd be like, scoot. And then he'd just lay there and be like, scoot. I'm like, you could have got up 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but but that's that's part of it. Yeah. And, and it's just that campy comic book feel. And it, it, it captured that. I love the... The interludes where like, it looks like the pages are turning. Yeah, pages you are see turning, the ads, yeah. the old ads, X-ray glasses, and I love it when, things like that. When father brings out her head on the platter, mm. and it goes to like a rear projection, like they're in front of like a rear projection screen, and it like it it looks like a like big bright red. I don't know, explosion behind yeah. them. Like that's and then it fades into like the comic. Yeah, it's version of that. Uh, I mean, it's just like I mean, you can clearly see where. Um, I don't know if you watch Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt is adapted from the EC comic. Like some of the stories are from those comic yeah. issues, where they were had to have clearly been inspired by Creepshow to a certain extent. Like that whole the tone, they really they really use a lot in in Tales from the Crypt, especially and even like the the Crypt Keeper is very similar to the whatever I forget his name in the in the movie, like the one that's outside Joe Hill's window. Yeah, you know, he doesn't talk in the movie, but the same as like the Crypt Keeper would introduce. Right, something. right, but um. Yeah, it had like a host of its own. Yeah, kind of yeah. But yeah, I love where it goes back, and I love the I love the interludes with uh, Tom Atkins and his, the kid. Yeah, it's like that's why, that's why God made dads. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like ugh. That's why uh, God made like, dads. You're gonna die so bad. You know yeah. he's gonna die. You know the kids are gonna kill him or something. Oh yeah. But I think my f- I don't know. I love all the stories. They're all really great in one way or the other. My favorite is probably the crate. I that love, one is really good. I that one feel really feels like a little mini movie because I it think does. It, it, you have the thing at like with the 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 party at the start mm-hmm. with Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau, and I just always remember the scene like where she's just like ripping into him oh, at any yes. opportunity. That's what I love is just like you really are like yes, kill her, yes, kill yeah, the dad, kill the, kill the dad, please. Like I would, I don't want to put up with this yeah. anymore. And he just like. Shoots her straight in the head. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it makes you laugh, and, and everybody's looking around and, and clapping. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like that's the perfect kind of dark humor for like a horror movie, like right? That. And I love that whole section. I love all the stuff with Fluffy, like the design, the crate. I think I think you might be right as far as like writing and and little movie, mini movie wise. Yeah. That that probably is the best one for that reason. Yeah, I think that one and the one with forget the name of it, the one with Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. I really like that one because Leslie Nielsen is that's the sand one the sand right. one where yeah. they're on the beach i he is just because you don't well, most people just know him from naked gun and right. like all the the spoof movies but like he is a he was a really good dramatic actor and mm-hmm. like he really turns it on he's really politely intimidating yeah and you know like i always love the part where 
I think he shows him the the TV on the beach. Mm-hmm. And then Ted Danson turns around and he's like, he's already dug the hole. He's got the shovel and he's going to hit him. And then he's like, nope, I got a gun on you. Yeah. And he turns turned around and like, I don't think so. Yeah. I love him in that. Like he's, he's really terrific. Ted Danson's pretty good too. And the, I don't know if you've ever seen the original Dawn of the Dead. I'm not sure. Okay. But the woman, his wife that mm-hmm. he's got barely, you see on the TV screen, I forget her name. That's the main actress from uh, Dawn of the Dead as well. Oh, okay. That George Romero had worked with few years yeah. earlier i think those are my two favorites as far yeah. as the story i mean i love the geordie one just because it's a hoot right and apparently stephen king hated the makeup like he had mm-hmm. a terrible because he has to put like the thing on his tongue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. apparently he has a terrible gag reflex oh. and and tom savini's like i uh, tom savini who did all the makeup didn't really work on that one too much um his i think he was mostly specializing on fluffy the birthday cake those were like the bigger makeup Right. Jobs, but apparently, yeah, King hated having any of the makeup appliances on him, especially the tongue one, which I get. That's weird. Yeah. Have some fuzzy green thing on your tongue. They had to take a mold of his tongue too. Oh wow! Which is, I don't, th- I don't think I could do that. I have a terrible gag reflex. Yeah. I couldn't do that. But yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole, the whole film is just like it's just fun. It pure is. comic and joint, like it's fun. Pure like spooky horror comedy and yeah entertainment i mean it is entertaining for sure it really just captures captures the feel of reading one of those comics yeah and and that's what i liked about it is every story was different enough that like you said it scratches every itch i mean Mm -hmm. you have the one with like fluffy that it's just a mini movie in itself and then you know it it hits different types of fears too it does Um, yeah and and I I like that. And Fear of the unknown is you know Stephen King a little bit with the yeah. not knowing what the coming out of the meteor or what's happening to him, uh-huh. and then you have which we haven't talked about the ending one with the cockroaches. Yeah. Um, so like that one, I watched it with my mom and my sister. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Nope, we're turning it off." Yeah. <laughs> so let's get to it. So it's like that's what I was gonna say. I mean, somebody that has like a bug phobia, man, that one. Oh yeah, that one. I couldn't imagine making it through and, if you do. And even at the end, when I think the like he's really covered in bugs, and I think they're like coming out of him, yeah, or something. Um, and it's clearly like it's a, it's a dummy, like right? Yeah, it's clear. But it's like it's still the image of that is like right. You see all, and you can hear the the cockroaches. And yeah, that's it's just really yeah. And I watched. I think I watched Creep Show first and then went into The Mist. The Mist, I think. Because I think I remember either way, I remember thinking, Oh, both these movies have bugs crawling out of their faces. It's true, yeah. Because, you know, in the end when of the conch conch The Conchroach. The Conchroaches. The cockroaches, they they crawl out of his face as well. Yeah. And like bust his chest open. And that's when you can tell it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely, fake, but it's still great. It's definitely like the mist. Like when the, when they they go to the, the pharmacy and the guy falls off the, off the, like the spider yeah, web that's on what the I'm wall. About. Yeah. And he, like his back just pours open and all these little spiders come out. Yeah. Like Stephen King wrote both of those. Right. Exactly. It seems like. So did you notice the, the marble ashtray that. When they hit him. Mm-hmm. That that's in each episode. I did not. Yeah, it's like hidden in each episode. Oh, okay, um, that's and, really cool. Yeah, in the in the Jordy Barrel, it's next to the cash box. Department of Meteors. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like when he's in his little fantasy, yeah. it says Department of Meteors. Yeah, and it's like I like the doctor's office. It just says doctor's office. Yeah, like just the <laughs> things are what they are. Yeah. Nobody has a name. And something to tide you over. It's on the nightstand next to Richard's bed in the crate. It's on the writing desk. Okay. 
and in the it's in the soap the it's a, it's the soap dish when he's washing his hands and they're creeping up on you, um, and then the wraparound story's on Billy's desk. So it's just like this fun little. Yeah, I love little that's... stuff like that. Apparently, Leslie Nielsen carried a fart machine. Oh yeah, this is a great set. one. While he was all business in the scenes, Leslie Nielsen had a fart machine in his pocket during shooting. He would let it go off during rehearsals, and just before uh, George Romero would call action, causing Ted Danson and the crew to crack up with laughter. That's Can great. you imagine trying to be a director and wrangling your crew, <laughs> and somebody has a fart machine, and you're like, I don't know if I can yell at them for that, because I can't prove it's a fart machine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. There's apparently... Uh... Romero and Savini were talking about Leslie Nielsen was out at a restaurant or bar or something, and he had these all these women surrounding him, mm-hmm. and he had a fart machine. And they were just they were just thought it was the funniest thing in the world for some reason. Because <laughs> Leslie Nielsen, because he's Leslie Nielsen, and right? Like, yeah, he could he could do anything, and it's just funny, right? Uh, but so, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say this says that it's the only George Romero film to open up at number one on the bo- weekend box office. Probably because most of his films were like, well, Night of the Living Dead was, it was kind of before like really opening weekends were a big thing. Oh, okay. His films back in like 68 film, most films would, they maybe, maybe they would open on like a couple hundred screens, but most, a lot lot of films would play in certain cities for a while and then go to other cities. It would be a little more like a traveling roadshow kind of thing. And Night of the Living Dead was like, it was a big drive-in thing too. So it would. And they didn't have money for a ton of prints, so right. it, it w- didn't really have an opening. Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, for instance, were all released unrated. So that means they couldn't advertise in certain papers. You couldn't put exactly. TV spots on TV. And that's, I mean, I, I'm, I like Romero. I, I don't think he's the best horror director or anything, mm-hmm. but I really admire him for sticking to his guns because they were like on Day of the Dead, for instance. They were like, you can have a bigger budget. You just have to make it R-rated. And he's like, no. I will not make this, I'll make this for a million instead of five million or whatever. Yeah. And I'll make it unrated because that's what I want to do. So, so the films would like kind of, they wouldn't have a big opening weekend because they didn't open on a thousand screens. Right. Um, so yeah, this, and this sense. was like, this was his, I want to say it's his first studio film. Yeah. Like where he's working for Warner Brothers, you know, and it's a bigger budget than he's ever worked with. So yeah, I mean, it is going to be. His yeah, that biggest, makes sense. His biggest opening. The, the next one would probably be Land of the Dead in 2004. Yeah. That was a big studio movie. Um, I remember hearing about this. Like I said, I knew Joe Hill was in the movie prior to watching it. And I remember hearing about this, but I think it's so funny that during a filming break, Stephen King took his son to McDonald's. And as a joke, Joe was made up with bruises, cuts, and scabs. And the girl at the drive through window called the police. <laughs> <laughs> because they thought she, he was abused. That's awesome. Like, they just made him up as a joke and yeah. took him to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, because he just has, like, this, like, sh- like where he's been slapped really hard. Yeah. Kinda. That's funny. I like that there were just, like, all kinds. Of, and that, that goes back to you can almost... You can almost see that they're just laughing behind scenes. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, they obviously were. They were having a lot of fun with this movie, and you can feel that. Yeah. It has this adolescent, like, humor. Humor. And, and yeah. like, and it, it was funny, like, watching them, the commentary with them, and they're just, like, giggling and still just, like, they just revert back to, like, 13 year old boys uh, who love horror. It's really fun. Yeah. Was this one of the first times that Greg Nicotero worked with Tom Savini, or was that on earlier? It would have been this one because they did this. 
they did Day of the Dead mm-hmm. a couple of years later. Yeah, so yeah this was probably the Nicotero's first. I think they even mentioned that in the commentary. This was like his first big movie that he'd worked on. Because I know. Well, who's? I mean, he's gone on. The, he runs Walking Dead now. I yeah. think. I know um, Savini, like Greg Nicotero, talks in a documentary uh, often and very fondly about Tom Savini and their their work together. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, he's he's actually in Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He's one of the soldiers. Greg Nicotero is. Him and his long blonde locks. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, it came out in 82, and man, 82 was a great year. Yeah. So this and like Halloween 3 mm-hmm. came out pretty close to each other. So like it was originally going to come out in October. That makes sense. Right. Also, Hollywood, release your horror movies in October. 100%. Stop being dumb. So they, they but they pushed it to November because Halloween, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, one of those underrated films, underappreciated films ever made, came out. And was was planned to release in October, and that was all right. Darcy ex- expected to be. It is Tom Atkins is involved. Also starring Tom. I was about to say That's also right. starring Tom Atkins. <laughs> um, and and that went like it wasn't as big. I mean, Creepshow was a bigger hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Halloween Three is a great movie though. So it's funny they moved it to November, and the Creep- Halloween Three de- ended up not doing as well as expected. And right, Creepshow would have probably done even better. Done even better in October. But yeah, Tom Atkins is in both Sexiest Man Alive. Clearly, who's Tom Atkins? Tom Atkins is the dad. He's the dad. The dad. Oh, the dad, dad of, the, of Joe, Joe Hill. Hill's dad. Yeah, yeah. but he's also oh, okay. in Halloween Three. He's he has like in all the John Carpenter movies. He has, in the Fog. <laughs> the he's like part, yeah. He, he beds beautiful women. Like they're just he's irresistible. I yeah. just love it. He's just so he's a great actor, and he's like he's. I would love to meet him at a con. I'm really hoping he shows up at the Nightmare, what I'm going to, but. He's just great. I just love him. And just the way he delivers that line, that's why God made dads. It just gets me every, it just made you laugh. Just yeah. It gets you every time. It, it does. Um, it really does. So, f- and also, so fun fact, this is the first time Castle Rock appears. Appears. And I mean, I think it was in the books at this point, mm-hmm. but it's the first time it appears on, on screen, screen or is mentioned on screen. It's on at a At the sign. end of the one with Stephen King, it's yeah. on the roadway sign. Yeah. I noticed that. So that's cool. Yeah. I was watching a video about the Dark Tower series mm-hmm. it popped up in my YouTube and kind of how everything relates relates and it's like oh my god yeah there's it was in the mist but Miss uh, the Carmody yes mm-hmm. she says a line that's actually from Randall Flagg yeah that's in the Tower series which I have not read because that first book is so like sci-fi western it's hard for me to get through one of these days I'm going to do. It, that series like because the, I've heard it's really good. The whole it's like it, the whole concept of what he did, how he connects all of, most of his stories are all kind of connected yeah, they in are. one way or the other in, in this universe. And how I never, I mean, when I read the stand, it's been a long time, but I always thought Randall Flagg was like Satan or the devil, you know. Yeah. And it turns out he's just a sorcerer, like a yeah. wizard, mm-hmm. more or less. And I like that's really cool. So like the idea of all of his his Stephen King universe mm-hmm. is very appealing, but at the same time, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, there are, it's overwhelming. There are books dense. about the universe of Stephen King. Oh, clearly. I mean, it's yeah. gotta be, because I mean, the, well, there's what, seven books in the Dark Tower, yeah. I think. And then Everything dozen, is dozens connected. of other stories mm-hmm. <laughs> that are all interlinked. And Did you ever see the movie Needful Things? Oh, I love that movie. I used to watch that one a lot when I was a kid. and it, like, I can't remember if I watched it or not, but that's one of my favorite books of his. It's not one of my like favorite Stephen King movies, and I haven't watched it in a long time. But I remember that movie really capturing that feel of Castle Rock and like yeah. this little town really well. So as I think of Castle Rock, I usually end up thinking of needful things. 
Okay. And Mach von Sydow coming in and like kind of worming his way into the town because he's right. like a He's a demon or, yeah, or something. Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's a devil. He's, yeah. 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 Um, it's every item is a monkey's paw. That's right. Yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. I need to watch that again. Um, I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, the, the book is amazing. And I remember I was going to watch the movie. I can't remember if I did or not. I'd have to go back and look at pictures of it and see. It's got Ed Harris. Oh, really? Yeah, Ed Harris, Mach von Sydow, and Bonnie Bedelia, I think, okay. from Die Hard. I think those are the main actors. I can't remember who else. Yeah. But yeah, just speaking of Stephen King adaptations. Right. So what would be your favorite Stephen King? What's your favorite Stephen... You being the Stephen King aficionado, what's your favorite Stephen King book? What's your favorite Stephen King adaptation on on the small or large screen? Well, I always say my favorite book is my first Stephen King book I read, which is Misery. Yeah. Uh, that's where I started with King and about... I, I was probably like 11. I that's, don't know. That's in his top five Stephen King books. Yeah. And, and it, it is, it's great. That's one I haven't read. And you definitely should. It's it's not very long. It's you know it's it's really good. It, it's darker than the movie, of course. Yeah. Uh, but the movie is great as well. Oh yeah, the movie's uh, amazing. I love the movie. I love that movie. Green Mile is a good book. I've read that. And the movie is spot on. It is forever long, but it's the one movie. of those movies like you don't even notice it's that long because it's just it. Yeah. It it just it, it pulls you in. Yeah. Right away. Yeah, and uh, and I love that they. I mean, they didn't leave anything out. No, well, I mean, the if I remember, like they were kind of co-writing it, mm-hmm. like like King was writing it as as the movie as Darabont was writing the script. So yeah. it was like they were so kind of going worked back together and forth. on it. But I remember reading those because they they published them in these little thin six little almost books. like a chapter a book almost mm-hmm. or a couple of chapters. I think I waited till the whole thing because. Mm-hmm. But I remember reading. Reading that like right around when the movie came out, and I was like, "Wow, this is, I could just watch the movie because this is the same thing." Yeah, I read it as the little books. Um, I got a hold of them when I was young, like at a yard sale or something, cool. and I read them as they were released. Because what it was is they would release them like once a month or once a week. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't like you could just go to the store and buy the whole story. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. So that's how I read it as well, but. I, it's hard to just pick one Stephen King book that is so great because he also has books that are so different. Yeah. Then, you know, people see him as the master of horror, but it's it's all different types of horror and and thriller, psychological or yeah, or drama monsters like, or like yeah, the body or um, exactly Shawshank, which know, is another are, great movie. Great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. He's just so good at at his stories that they translate to movies pretty well. Yeah, I mean, if you get a good director and writer, and Mm -hmm. basically, so Creepshow is is the one that's like, I guess because it's not an adaptation. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time when Stephen King works on his own adaptations, movie does not end up very good. Yeah. (laughs) Like Maximum Overdrive, for instance. Although I love that movie. I mean, I love the movie. I love the movie. I love the movie as, you know, it's a, it's, it's a goof. It's goofy and fun, yeah. and Stephen King was coked out of his mind when he made it. Right, but like in the the Shining TV miniseries, like the things like what the, he's directly involved in, or yeah, yeah. But so I think when when someone like you know Kubrick or which I mean you know we know we've talked about that, yeah. but like De Palma or John Carpenter, mm-hmm. and he's had I mean he's had a lot of good filmmakers adapt his material, and that's that's right. the important. Like those when he gets a really good writer or director that really gets gets the the feel of the book. Right. Like Darabont. I mean, Darabont's, I mean, he's pretty slavish to the, to the books. Yeah. 
but he does you know alter and change right it, it's adapting to a he 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 just strikes the right balance yeah i of, mean there there has to be a little bit of change and a little bit of adaptation when you're taking a book and turn it into a movie yeah i mean some things just don't work on exactly screen. but you have to keep that overall feel that's what's lost yeah. a lot of times i feel like when there's a a book to movie situation is it loses that feeling you get when you read it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a tone to his archetypal Stephen King protagonist or Stephen right. King setting. Like, the, I mean, Castle Rock and New England is kind of like that's Dairy. where most of them are set. There's a lot, there's always a lot of like childhood trauma mm-hmm. that later comes back to an adult, to, you know, older character. Like, yeah. there's, there's staples that he uses. But you know he works them into a different story, into right? A different, exactly, different genre, kind of. Yeah, um, and and that's why I think just he easily became my favorite writer. Is you know I started young with him, yeah. But he he's evolved as well. I mean, now you have stuff like the Mercedes series and Holly that just came out, and that's more kind of crime based but then there's definitely Stephen King twist and his spin of things throughout the whole book yeah so you know you're reading a King book but it's also different yeah and he stays with like a horror type genre but he it's almost like it's part of another genre every once in a while yeah totally today is actually Stephen King's birthday oh really yeah 21st oh yes it is the 21st yeah Yep. Wow. I forgot it was the 21st. It's also my grandpa's birthday. <laughs> oh, wow. That's how I remember that's Stephen cool. King's birthday. <laughs> so, yeah, this so is that's pretty, awesome. We're, pretty cool we're doing this on We're recording King's on his birthday. birthday. That's um, that's great. I mean, it won't be released on his birthday. It won't be released, but, but just know that we are honoring Stephen King by recording a podcast on movies. On his birthday. Uh, Stephen King movies. I would, I would throw out there that this has probably been one of my favorite episodes. Good. I'm I glad. mean, obviously, it's well, Stephen King. I mean, I wanted to hear, I mean, it's your thing. Like, I want to, yeah. like, Stephen King is your thing. So, I want I mean, I love Stephen King, too, but, I mean, it's kind of your thing. Like, that and Scream yeah. are, right. are your <laughs> things. And Brittany, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, people come in and they're like, recommend a book for me. And I'm like, will you read Stephen King? <laughs> but I have gotten a lot of people that don't read Stephen King to read Stephen King. Yeah. Um, I think where there are some of his books, 11, 22, 63. That's a, I mean, a great book. The miniseries is great. I haven't read the book. I haven't watched the miniseries. I tried to watch it like right after I read the book and it didn't, I, I have a problem when I go straight from a book to the movie or something like that. Sometimes if it's too different, I can't watch it. So I have to yeah. go back eventually. But okay. but that's, I mean, that's a great book for anybody to read. And that's what yeah. I say. He has those books that, yeah, some of them are deep and dark and gross or yeah. sexual, whatever. It just depends. I mean, it's a Stephen King book, but there's a lot that are anybody could read, I think. Yeah, they're more... If you if you're not into horror or right. creatures and all that, you know that you can you can yeah. get into. But yeah, that's I mean I think that and I think that's why I thought this episode was fun because, you know I I do read Stephen King, big fan of Stephen King. I like a lot of the Stephen King movies, but to have you pick some that I haven't seen and then watch them and discuss them, like that was fun. I, I really liked I'm it. Glad you had a good time. Yeah, it was good.
I guess overall that that is our Stephen King episode. I'll put a nail in this Kingtastic episode. <laughs> That's right. Happy birthday, Stephen Happy birthday, King. Happy birthday, Stephen King. Happy birthday. And I guess we yeah. need to do movies for our next episode, which will be our October fifteenth episode, still in the spooky season. Spooky season. So we're gonna keep with horror. Yeah. Um, themes. So Aaron, what do you have for me? Okay. So I couldn't decide. I know. You're having a lot of yes. issues. Mm-hmm. So what I have decided to do is let you choose your own fate. Oh. <laughs> I nice? like this. So I have these papers with movies oh written God. on it. <laughs> these are you can't see these, but these you are like the tiniest pieces of paper. On, let me get a bowl well, because or something. Here's a I need a magnifying glass. Hold on. What I was gonna do was I was gonna bring like a box or something to like have you pick them out of, mm-hmm. but then I knew you'd be like, Well, what's that? And then I'd have to tell you ahead gotcha. of time. I wanted to wait till so I made them really small so I could Okay. Well, I did not see them <laughs> until now. So I think what did I have? Four oh, I'm just going to random like a draw it out of a box. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, I mean, that's kind of horror. No, I like let, it. Let you reach into a box and we'll see what your fate is, I guess. <laughs> I'm really scared. <laughs> he was see? mentioning a lot of things yesterday. Yeah. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> what is it? No know. cheating. Is it blank? Oh, Truth or Dare. Okay. Okay. So, so the only thing about Truth or Dare, I do think it was a Netflix movie. I don't think so. I think it was. Uh, was it? Okay. I, think it was I watched release. it on Netflix. I think. Uh, so Truth or Dare is going to be the one we're going to watch. I guess. Rhinefield. What's Rhinefield? Renfield. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just can't spell. <laughs> we, we we work at a library. <laughs> I did this really quick this morning What's when it? y'all were rushing me to Wish get in upon. here. I don't even know what that one is. Uh, it was like a... Oh, no, I remember. I can like see the box art Make now. Wishes, yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen Wishmaster? It's pretty uh, good. It's not bad. It's probably one of those I've seen parts of. Ma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got four. I don't know where the other one is. That was it. Oh, it was just four. Okay. Yeah, I chose those out of the, like, seven that so I had. I still think Truth Stay Alive should have been on that Well, one. what I did... So what I did is last night I... Um, or this morning. No, last night. I looked up all the movies and watched their trailers. Okay. Because one, these are movies, Renfield I haven't seen. It's something I want to see. But the other movies are mostly movies that I've seen back when they came out. And I just really liked them then. Okay. So it's also going to be kind of interesting to see if I still like Truth or Dare. Okay. So I, I looked up the the um, trailers, watched them, and I couldn't decide between a few. But when I watched the trailer of, what was it, Stay Alive? Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't. I don't even want to rewatch this movie. Not okay. Now in the theaters, I loved that movie, but when I saw the trailer, I was like, mm. "Okay." So, but I couldn't make my mind up, and well, no, I, I like that. That's very creative. It does yeah. have a ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's probably not. What very Truth good. or Dare or Stay, stay Alive? Oh, stay alive. Oh, okay. Yeah, it didn't look that great. Um, I just yeah, that's what I said. I remember loving it, but when I watched the trailer, I was like, "Uh, th- no." Okay. So, so there we go. Truth or Dare. Yeah, um, it's like. 2006 or 8, something like that. I think it's a little later than that. I think it's like 2011 or 2012. <laughs> it probably is then. <laughs> One of like them 10... was like 2006. <laughs> I know the Truth or Dare is a little earlier. Oh, okay. A little later than that. Yeah. Um, All right. So Truth or Dare for you. So I've gone back and forth. Oh, yeah. Truth or Dare is 2018. <laughs> oh, 2018. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's five years. I was way off. You're really but... going back to the well for that one. Yeah. 
So I've gone back and forth on a few because mm-hmm. I always want to try to educate you on horror classics. Because nice. you're a horror, you love horror films, but there's a lot of horror films you haven't seen <laughs> that are not even like that old that are you right. know, great films and it's, iconic. Well, it's because I don't watch movies. Though. I know you don't. <laughs> um, just watch Scream 87 times. Love it. <laughs> so I am going to pick 1992's Candyman. Okay. Starring Tony Todd and Virginia Madison, written by Clive Barker mm-hmm. and directed by Bernard Rose. Is this um, just so you okay. can say Candyman the amount of times that's uncomfortable s- for me? I've only me said it once so in far. A room. I'm just throwing I mean, you that said it there. there. That's twice. I know. I'm, I'm excited to watch Candyman. That's three. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, is it three? That's three. I love Candyman. Five. I usually end up watching it every year. It's Tony Todd's amazing in it. It's, yeah. It just really captures f- uh, urban legend kind of folklore, mm-hmm. and it also deals with. I mean, we'll get into it next time, like the ram, yeah. like the generational trauma of slavery. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, uh, it's just an amazing film. The score is great. Tony I'm, Todd's amazing. I'm. I'm excited. Yeah, and I mean I, the that you've never seen it. It's like that's that needs to be corrected. Right. So so yeah, it's gonna be Candyman next time. <laughs> Oh, I don't see him anywhere. Yeah, I was just looking for him. Listen, guys, I just... I, <laughs> I was looking for him. I don't Be my it. victim. It is a movie I've always wanted to see, uh, <laughs> mainly because when I when I was younger, there was a cousin of mine that... I don't know if she had seen it or what, but she was scared of Candyman so oh, yeah. bad. She would not go to the restroom by herself. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So, so we were really mean yeah. and... Us older kids would play Candyman. Like we'd be like, "Let's go outside and play," and we'll be like, "We'll play Candyman." And I don't think half of us even knew, <laughs> knew what, what it was, was about. But we told her Candyman lived under my grandparents' house. That's so awesome. we would be playing, and then randomly we'd open the underneath <laughs> of the house and just leave it until she realized it was open. That's great. Yeah. We so now I'll get to see what Candyman even is. Yeah. Yeah, you will. So I'm really excited for you. <laughs> Nonsense. I'll watch Truth or Dare. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know I, I, don't I couldn't. Man, I just couldn't decide. I wanted to give that's you a good, good one, but they're both children's games. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I suppose. So I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I, you know, like I said, we'll see if I even like Truth or Dare when we watch it. I'm, it's been so long. <laughs> I thought it'd been way longer than that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I thought it came out like ten years ago. Yeah. It's a movie like that comes out every like four years. That COVID yeah. brain. But I think it'll be fun. So join us next time for our second Halloween-esque episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I'm so for just turning this podcast into that. Listen. <laughs> just throwing that out there. If you're one of our right. roughly 20 listeners and you're interested in it becoming a horror-only podcast, we need you to speak out strongly and with no qualms about it. Visit our uh, Real Opposites Facebook page. Yes, right. Let so. us know. Exactly. Yeah. Talk to us. Talk or to give us, us suggestions. Yeah, yeah, or suggest things. Tell we'll us, take tell us what you want to hear. No one ever talks to us. We're very yeah. bored <laughs> on, on our social media. So, yeah. you know, say something. Exactly. So visit us on our Facebook and, you know, talk to us. Let us know what you want to hear. But I guess until... We're coming to the library and tell us tell it to our go. faces. Yeah. <laughs> that's That works too. Uh, Aaron's usually wearing a backwards baseball cap at the front desk and he has long hair. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just, just chime in with him. Uh, it'll Work be good. Out.
<laughs> Travis won't know what's happening. Poor Travis. <laughs> Aaron has a stunt double at the library. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I guess so that's what we'll be watching next time. But until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Josh. And this has been the real opposites.